This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth. Exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host. Is it fair to say that basically every company's culture is stems from the leader and like it just trickles down or have you experienced any companies that have great cultures that the top leader is removed or like a completely different personality type yeah so every single person that joins an organization has an impact on the culture right and if it's a small organization uh, that every person you bring on changes the culture dramatically if it's a very large organization uh, probably less of an opportunity for that person to to uh, have a tr- uh, a huge uh, delta, a huge change on the culture. Um, the leadership of the organization has a very big impact, and you see that when you have change in leadership at an organization, and you see an organization change pretty dramatically. Leadership has a tremendous impact, uh, but every single person you bring in the organization has an impact, and this is the long. Uh, uh, the, the long, uh, I don't know if you've heard the studies about hiring star employees or firing star employees, right? Where you may have someone who might be your most productive sales executive, sales leader. You may have someone that's your most productive engineer, uh, your most productive product person, most productive marketing, but they are uh, a, a real culture challenge, right? They don't collaborate. They don't have, uh, they don't, uh, you can see where this is going, right? They they don't collaborate. They uh, they don't share. They uh, they're it's a star system where they where they're trying to take all the credit and not share credit with people who've helped them accomplish what they're accomplishing. This is a dilemma that organizations have, right? Because often an organization will feel this this star, this group of stars, uh, is too important not to be part of the organization. And then you could argue that the culture is too important for them to for that person, for those people to stay a part of the, of the organization. And this is a decision that every company needs to make. And I guess it's just related to your, uh, to your point of our leaders uh, in, have a big impact, the biggest impact on culture. And, and the answer is they have a very, big, a very big impact, but every single employee has an impact. And how you treat that, if you have a star, a star employee and they're, uh, to use a terrible word, they're a cancer to the organization, but they're a star, like every employee is going to look to leadership. Is leadership allowing that to happen? And if they are, then other people are going to try to use that star system uh, to stand out and, and succeed in their in that organization, in their career. And if, if the company takes a stand and says, I don't care how productive or how important this person is to the organization, we're not going to have someone with that type of culture here, then the, the employees are going to see that. So you can see how it it's a... Uh, it's a um, a flywheel, right? It's not just leadership, but it's the people that are in the organization and how they how they're modeling that leadership behavior and how they see uh, the company. If you're talking about culture all the time, but then you allow a a challenge in your culture to persist, then are, do you really care about culture as much as you say you do, right? So it's a it's a um, uh, it's a tricky a tricky topic. And then statistically, that I, I I go to a I mentioned this lifelong learning. I, I attend, I'm a student, I teach, I teach at NYU for my 10th year as an adjunct professor teaching business and entrepreneurship, but I also switch sides of the desk and I 
become a student every year for the past nine years. I go to a Harvard uh, pro, uh, Harvard Business School um, President's Program in Leadership, right? So it's a program for presidents to go and, and to continue to learn. And one of the professors there, uh, his name is Professor Groisberg, and he has tremendous statistics and data from all of his uh, customers, all the organizations that he's studied. And he, and he has determined that a CEO uh, has a 13% impact on an organization, uh, whether, whether it's financially or, uh, you know, quantitatively or qualitatively, I don't recall exactly how he came up to that number, but when he puts it up on the board, 13%, so authoritatively, it seems it's, it's hard to argue with him. Um, but, uh, that's a statistic that I, uh, at least one, uh, data point that I can, that I can quote. I don't know if that translates exactly to culture, but I think everyone knows that, the, the most senior leader in an organization does have a tremendous impact. Uh, and uh, there's one study at Harvard that says it's has a 13% impact. Yeah. I love that. Love that you're on both sides of the, uh, the desk too. That's uh, you have to be awesome. right. You have to, to be able to teach. You need to be able to learn. Um, something I admire about you is that you not, you don't just talk about it. You're out there, you're starting companies, you're doing things. I, doing some research for this interview, saw your Shark Tank um, uh, segment, <laughs> and Sunflow is the company's name. And um, it's a, it's like a, a beach. C can you describe Sunflow a little bit? Sure. We Sunflow is a, a premium beach chair and accessories business. So many of the listeners have, have gone to the beach, and they probably drag along their beach chair, their umbrella, towels, uh, their uh, their drink, their drink holders, or their their hydration, their water bottles. So my wife and I, my wife is actually the is her idea, and, and she's a product designer. Uh, the idea was that, like many things, like many product categories, this was a mature category, a hundred year old category that really hadn't been updated. If, if you went to the beach uh, today, and you went to the beach twenty years ago, you probably saw the same beach chairs uh, and the same beach umbrellas. And my wife thought that there were uh, there were a lot of opportunities to to modernize and beautify uh, this category, uh, and that was our thesis, right? To make the chairs more comfortable, more beautiful, more thoughtful with whether it's sun protection or or hydration or protecting your mobile device or um, whatever the case. My uh, my wife had this vision for this, and and I was very excited by this idea and helped her uh, commercialize the, the business. So today we, that is my, my current, my day job. I'm CEO of, of Sunflow. My wife is the chief creative officer of Sunflow. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, the, the Shark Tank episode is great. Um, I'm just gonna spoil it because whatever, like everyone <laughs> turns you down or offers, you know, deals that you don't want to take. And then that Mr. Wonderful comes in with what seems like a really fair deal. I don't know. I was like, I, yeah, I've, I've watched a lot of shark tank and, um, that deal is like, Oh, that seems like a pretty solid one. Um, I want to know what was going through your mind though, because you had, you had some cojones there when he offers you a deal <laughs> and then you start negotiating back and forth and he offered like 6% for whatever the terms were. And then, but then you, you, chiseled them down to five or not chiseled. I don't want to put it in like, I don't know, that's a negative connotation, <laughs> but, um, you, 
you settled at five percent. And uh, what was going through your mind in that in that mm, situation? Because yeah. you got to think so quickly. But what, yeah, well, well first of all, the yeah, well, it's funny because this is uh, I started my first business twenty two years ago, so this is my fourth company, and and I'm proud of the businesses, uh, the people that that were part of those businesses, and the customers. Uh, this is the first time that I've been on Shark Tank and and starting a beach brand and having a consumer product. Uh, it's it's obviously a fantastic opportunity for millions of people to discover our brand. So it was really exciting to be uh, selected because I think there are about 40 or 50,000 applicants and they film about 100. The other fun thing about it is uh, I teach this entrepreneurship class at NYU for the past nine, nine years, and we have a similar format. Students form teams, and for the semester, they build out their business plan in the last class. They have to pitch their business to a panel of investors. They're not sharks, but I guess you could say they're they're sharks, right? So, so one of my students was selected for Shark Tank a couple of years ago, and and I thought that was pretty cool. And then this year, uh, I was on Shark Tank, right? So with my wife, and so it was really fun. Um, with regard to that negotiation, a lot of people ask me about that because yeah, we've watched hundreds of episodes leading up to you know in our preparation for being on the show. And we, we practiced, right? We had actually, it's, it's, a, it's a reality show. So you cannot tell friends or family that you're on the show. Although our daughters, our teenage daughters were at home and there was no hiding because we had pretend sets set up and we were doing our scripts. So our daughters were the only two people in the world that knew that we were doing this for months and months and months. So they actually helped us practice. They found on the internet hundreds of questions that were most typically asked by the sharks and we would stand in front of them and they would role play and they would be in role and they would pretend they're Mr. Wonderful or, or Mark Cuban uh, and they would ask fire questions at us. So we did that for months and months and months. So I guess part of the, uh, maybe it's the, not the fun part of the story, but the, the important part is you know, preparation, right? We were incredibly prepared because we, there wasn't a question they could ask. There, it would have been difficult for them to ask a question that we weren't already prepared for because there's hundreds of questions there. They can ask whatever they want. It's all unscripted. Um, but they end up asking, you know, similar questions over and over again with regard to the negotiations, same thing, right? I already had, you know, when you go on, you have to, you have to, uh, come up with a number. We asked for a million dollars. It's a lot of money. We asked for, we offered a percentage of the company for that million dollars. And then of course, because we were asking for so much money, we knew we'd be challenged quite a bit on the valuation, on the amount of money. And, and it was, again, my job to be prepared. My wife's the creative in the product. So she had to be able to romance the products and talk about how they're unique. And I needed to be able to talk about the numbers and the business model and the uh, go-to-market strategy. So, but to answer your question, which uh, just to remind everyone what you asked, how did I have the, <clears throat> the kahunas to negotiate with Mr. Wonderful uh, when all four sharks that were my options had gone out at that point? And <clears throat> uh, so, you know what? I, I've watched it multiple times. Many people have asked me that question. I was in a zone. You know, it's, they film it once. There's no retakes. They don't stop and start. And I just, I guess just instinct. I just felt that there was an opportunity that he wasn't going to say, go away. Maybe it's the tone of his voice, the way he said it, what he was offering. I just felt that there was an opportunity to counter. And 
I could always fall back to his number, although he could say, you know what, uh, I'm out. But <clears throat> it was just instinct. And, and uh, he accepted, right, that final counter. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, there, there really wasn't an opportunity to be nervous because you're, you're so in the moment. Uh, but it was fun. It was an incredible life experience, especially be able to do it with my wife and, and obviously uh, having uh, you know, a lot of people go on the show and, and have success. And some people go and all five sharks go out. So it would have also, and it's very public, right? Have millions of people, I think 4 million people watched our episode. So, so yeah, there's always the chance you walk out of there and it's like, yeah, Professor Besner couldn't get a deal done. Right. So uh, thank goodness it worked out. <laughs> And it was a lot of fun doing it. Has he been involved in the, the post process or how, how much of a help has he been? Yeah, well, that's the irony of all this, right? You do all that prep, all that work. You shake hands on set, but it's not binding, right? You, you, it's not an actual contract. After mm -hmm. the show ends and you go home, you start uh, meeting with the investor and, and their team. And in our case, uh, we were working with uh, Mr. Wonderful's uh, team and uh, the, uh, you know, we're not allowed to discuss the, the actual negotiations, but the negotiations led to, um, there were more negotiations, right? He said, mm. I stood up there and I negotiated well, that turned out that wasn't the final negotiation. There was more okay. negotiation for the months wow. that followed. And when we negotiated after the show, uh, we were not able to reach uh, to reach terms. Uh, so we ended up not taking the million dollars from Mr. Wonderful. So, so the uh, publicity and the ability to have millions of people discover our brand uh, was amazing. But unfortunately, uh, the million dollars and the partnership with Mr. Wonderful did not come to fruition. We ended up raising uh, $3.5 million from other investors at nice. the terms that you saw on television. Uh, so fortunately we did end up raising even more capital than we, than we were requesting on the show, uh, at favor, at those, those terms that we thought were fair. Cool. So happy ending of the story. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Although you won't, amazing. you won't, you won't see Mr. Wonderful pitching our products, but anyway, <laughs> that's, uh, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Sunflow kind of reminds me of, um, like, like a potential Yeti type company where, like coolers, you know, I mean, who thought the yes. coolers could be such a premium product, but um, that's amazing. So I guess to bring it back and as we wrap up here, I guess Sunflow, I mean, what's it like running a, a large company with your wife and how do you think about maintaining, how do you blend those lines between a fault, like a, like a family culture and having you know, do you draw lines like family? Okay, this is family time. This is work time. And and then also at work, like how has that been? Yes. So it's uh, thank you for saying for running a large company with my wife. We're not large yet, but uh, it's we hope to be. We're growing. Uh, but we're a small team. Uh, but to answer your question, sorry, my earpiece just fell out. Uh, to answer your question about working with my wife and uh, the work-life balance, and in our case, work-life integration, uh, it is it is unique. And I think it's an important question because more and more uh, listeners are working remotely, are sharing an office with their spouse or partner or, or others. And 
uh, it is, uh, and with all the other social media and technologies that sometimes blend our personal and private life time, the time that we spend during the day. But, but in the extreme, uh, co-founding a company with my wife, uh, our home office, our home is our headquarters, <clears throat> and and our children are are right there front and center. Uh, it is incredibly hard, and I'd say that if you have a challenging personal relationship with the person that you're starting a company with, it certainly doesn't make it easier uh, to also have a business relationship. Fortunately for my wife and myself, you know, we're married 23 years, and we have a very positive relationship and a very positive relationship with our children. Um, so, so it makes it easier to succeed, um, but it's not easy, right? When you wake up in the morning and you have stress at work and your spouse has the same stress, right? You, you're not going to get comfort from your spouse. You're going to, it can actually escalate when you have, mm. uh, you know, both of you having similar stress and sometimes it is hard to turn it off. We actually have, uh, I mentioned our daughters doing, uh, 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 role-playing for us, preparing for Shark Tank. Our daughters also, and since we started working on this business four years ago, uh, they also had um, two interventions. Uh, and that sounds, it's a strong word, but it's true. They, you know, we were on vacation the first time. We were in the Hamptons. It was supposed to be our family vacation at the beach. And of course, when we're at the beach, you know, it's hard not to think about our beach brand. And mm. my wife and I talk about it, and next thing you know, we're taking photos of the product, and we're, and we are uh, visiting our beach store because we had a store in the Hamptons at the time. And at some point, our teenage daughters pulled us aside, and told us how disappointed they were that uh, this family vacation was becoming a work, uh, more of a work vacation. And it was really an amazing, uh, amazing to see our daughters uh, have the. Uh, gumption to to sort of tell their parents that they're doing a, a poor job vacationing, uh, and we worked much harder the rest of that uh, vacation to make sure that that it was a family vacation and not a, a family work event. Uh, and then the second time, oh gosh, I can't remember, but there was a second <laughs> second intervention maybe a year or two later, and uh, we got through that as well. I think it was probably on a on a trip um, we try to take a big family trip every year. And, and of course we end up bringing our Sunflow products with us and have a photo shoot. And, you know, the daughters, they want us to have family memories, not family work memories. Right. So, so it is just some examples of how it's not always smooth sailing. Uh, but, uh, you know, work-life integration is a reality. More and more people have that, uh, are balancing, literally balancing a baby on their lap while they're on zoom. Right. So it's, uh, it's a, um, it's a great opportunity for some people to be able to have time at home, to be able to spend more time with the family, uh, to be able to walk the dog or whatever it is, you know, your hobbies and, and things that you love to do. Um, but at the same time, uh, it does have this integration with your work life that is, I think, unique in this day and age and, and with COVID and post-COVID um, more so than ever, because about 5% of the workforce worked remotely before COVID and that had grown from three and a half percent to 5% from over 20 year period from, uh, from 1999 to 2019, uh, in 2020, when COVID hit you know, overnight, the majority of the workforce was working remotely and, and organizations had to 
had to spin up solutions for being able to, to have employees work remotely. Many of those solutions are staying in place and organizations are, whether it's allowing that flexibility more so, whether it's to save money on rent, whether it's a combination of those things, be able to recruit people in all places in the world, it's a new reality. Now, some organizations are bringing people back to the office, um, but that 5% of the workforce working remotely, I think will never, you know, I think we, the future, you know, the future of work is, has arrived. Uh, so it's a broader topic than what you asked, but uh, my situation working with my wife and having my children front and center was a, was a gift. And uh, I think everyone has to manage it differently, but it is uh, the new reality, right? Managing work-life integration. We actually added, uh, let's see, we, my publisher and I, we added some uh, additional uh, remote work content to the book because I published it in the middle of COVID. So we, the book was not written with COVID in mind when I wrote most of it before 2020. And then when I finished it uh, during COVID, I did add some sections about how, how to communicate with, um, you know, with your teams, how to, and today people are recruiting people. Some people have joined organizations and never been to an office. Um, so it is, it is a new reality. So. That, that's incredible. And, and I know we're coming up on time. I just want to ask one other question kind of adjacent to what you were just saying and that's about writing the book. And I've dreamed of writing a book and um, it just seems like such a accomplishment. What was it like for you? Was it was it really challenging? I hear both sides of the story that it's some people just they can do it in two weeks. Other people, it takes a long time, years. And um, what what like reflecting back on that journey what lessons did you learn any any <laughs> thoughts that you could share sure sure you know i when i started working on the book i mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that i started working on it years ago when i first started my business and the business got so busy that i had only written about a third of the book and the concept for the book was to have uh to have successful culture stories uh, highlighted, right? So there's so many different um, ways to have a, to have a high performance culture. And instead of me just telling people what they should do, instead just share stories of what other mm -hmm. leaders have done successfully, right? So each chapter, the idea was to, to show data, like why cult this particular dimension of culture is important based upon a, you know, a thousand companies and millions of employees. Like the data shows, here's why it's important. Um, and then some culture stories showing how organizations have successfully navigated that particular dimension. And then takeaways, like what are the things we've learned from the data, from successful culture stories and culture transformation, and what are the lessons we could take? So that, uh, so fortunately, uh, the fact that the book, I worked on it over many years, the longer I waited, the more stories I had and the more data that I had. Uh, so that was positive. Uh, writing a book's challenging, right? I ended up spending a lot of time and and a lot of edits, a lot of rewrites. I I, I lost count of how many times I read the book because every you know mm. constantly reading it and rereading it and editing it, and and of course I was so proud to finally publish it and 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 at this point thousands and thousands of people read it and and I get wonderful um, feedback, which is just great. If it that's the purpose, right? If others can learn from the thousand organizations that that we collect the data and the, and the dozens and dozens that shared their stories and all those takeaways. 
Um, but the funny part of it is uh, when I finished it, I said, never again, never going to write another book. It's just so hard and took so much time and effort. And, uh, and of course, time heals. I, I published it, I think it was November of 2020. Um, I just finished a draft for my second book. So, <laughs> so uh, I said I wouldn't write a second book and I've already, um, I've already written a second one. So uh, the second book is a family story. It's not a business story. It's uh, more inspired by the family I've talked about during our conversation, my wife and my two daughters. Uh, and as my daughters become young adults, uh, sort of a, a story about family. Uh, and mm. anyway, that, that'll be, a, maybe we can have a follow-up conversation about, yeah. about my second book called Lenara, which will be published soon, I hope. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, Greg, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing some insights. And um, everybody should go get the book, The Culture Quotient, um, 10 Dimensions of a High-Performance Culture. And, uh, yeah, anything I didn't ask that you want to share or wrap things up with? Gosh, we had a great conversation. I, I, I really appreciate uh, you reaching out. And I just love the fact that you and your management team read the book. I, I hope there are some takeaways. What I always say is if you could take one or two things away from an experience or a book or a movie or a conversation, then it's successful. So if, if you and your team have taken a couple things away that uh, learnings or, or are, uh, anything that you've used in your own organization, your own leadership, uh, then, that's, then, it, then my effort was success. So, yeah. so thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah. So thank you for reaching out and it's very flattering and and i really appreciate you you reaching out to me thanks for listening to learn more visit fcpservices.com until next time remember people drive growth